Good morning, Missio. The scripture reading today comes from Acts 1, 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Well, again, welcome everybody. So good to have you. So good to be with you. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, four weeks to be in specific, we have been exploring the work and the activity and the person of the Holy Spirit. That's been the theme and the set of conversations that we have been in as a community. What is the Holy Spirit up to? What is the Spirit doing in the midst of us? What is the promise of the Spirit in our community? And maybe most importantly, what does it look like for us as the people of Jesus to participate and to partner with the work of the Spirit here and around us? And so far, we have explored how the Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus, how the Spirit is on the very same mission that Jesus was on, that same loving, sacrificial, cross-shaped, creative mission that Jesus began and inaugurated. He says, the Spirit is continuing, testifying about me, glorifying me, helping you know and understand and live into all the things that I've said and that I have done and that I have invited you to participate in. So the Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus. And then after that, we looked at how the Spirit is a companion to us on the way of Jesus. How the Spirit comes like a guide to be with us on the road and kindness and encouragement, speaking truth and love and grace over us on this sometimes difficult, sometimes harrowing, sometimes challenging and confusing and uncertain journey that we call following Jesus. And then Heather talked about how the Spirit is actively speaking to us, encouraging us, and writing over us a story in love. And then last week, we looked at the Spirit in the midst of conflict. When we are in the middle of a ideologically entrenched conflict and how the Spirit shows up and reveals and unravels and takes the weight of trying to convince people or control people off of our shoulders and just invites us to live and love like Jesus. And today, we are wrapping up our series, concluding this conversation about the Spirit, at least in this way, with Jesus' very final words to the disciples about the Spirit. I'm going to keep things pretty simple today. Just look at this last thing Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. It's like a, another commissioning, another empowering moment for the disciples. And he begins to instruct them and tell them one last thing about the Spirit as he is about to ascend. 
And if you remember the previous weeks, we've been looking at John 13 through 16. And in those moments when Jesus was instructing his disciples about the Spirit in John 13 through 16, the tone and tenor of those conversations was comfort and encouragement. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's trying to comfort and encourage his disciples in what is going to be a difficult moment. But in Acts chapter 1, which Lauren read for us this morning, the tone changes a bit because Jesus is not going to be crucified. Jesus is going to be ascending. And ascending is a dislocating thing. We don't talk about ascension very much in the church, and we're not going to today either, honestly. <laughs> but it is good news, right? We just, can I just say that? It's good news. Jesus is going to heaven. He's going to take up his throne. It's imagery of ruling and of reigning and establishing the gospel. So it's good news. Whereas the crucifixion, it's good news. But if you're a friend of Jesus, it's also deeply dislocating news and heartbreaking news. You're about to lose your friend You don't know when he's going to come back. You don't know if he's going to come back in John 13 through 16. But here, Jesus is encouraging his disciples. The tone has shifted from one of dislocation to one of victory and encouragement. And in the context of this new tone, Jesus ascending to reign, he begins to teach his disciples about the Spirit. And this is what Jesus says, Acts 1. So as Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days, this is post-resurrection, and he begins to speak to them about God's kingdom. And while they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does something here that is really interesting to me and has really shifted my own thinking and my own imagination. Jesus connects the kingdom of God to the Spirit of God. And for me, this has been really helpful and really transformative because when I grew up and learned about the Holy Spirit, it often felt to me like Holy Spirit was so abstract, so ethereal, and I could never understand exactly what Spirit was doing in the biblical story. And then one Eastertide, which is that period of celebrating the resurrection, I was reading this passage, and Jesus is like, oh, the Spirit is doing the work of kingdom. And kingdom is Jesus' favorite shorthand way for describing his work. For his own rule and his reign, his life, his way, for the thing he is inviting his disciples to participate in. So Jesus is connecting his rule and his reign, his kingdom his work to the life of the Spirit. And this is not the first time that Jesus has done this. When Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he goes to a synagogue to make an announcement that I'm about to do some things. He grabs a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is kingdom language, Jesus language, gospel language. In this moment, Jesus is like, the Spirit is with me to establish a new world. The Spirit is with me to bring justice and liberation, hope and mercy. That's spirit work. That's my work. This is what we're up to. 
And then again in Luke chapter 11, which is Aaron mentioned for us in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray for the kingdom. And he says, hey, if you pray for the kingdom, the very last line is, your Father will give you the Spirit. That's an interesting interchange. If you pray for the kingdom, your Father will give to you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is long connected, spirit and kingdom, spirit and his work. And the disciples who are listening to Jesus in Acts chapter 1, they know this. They've been listening to Jesus talk. They've been with him. They're not always the best listeners if you've been reading the story, but they pick up on some things. And they know that when Jesus says kingdom and spirit, something is stirring and their mind begins to rush with images. And so they ask Jesus, he says this, as a result of what Jesus said, those who gathered with him asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? So Jesus just talked about spirit and kingdom. The disciples know exactly what that means. Jesus is talking about the restoration of the kingdom, the hope that Jesus has been proclaiming. And they ask him, is it happening right now? And look at how Jesus responds to it. He says, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is an interesting response to the disciples. They have all these images of kingdom and spirit that's flooding through their head. Jesus is talking about spirit, talking about kingdom. And they're like, oh, that means it's happening right now, right? You're going to restore the thing. You're going to fix the world. It's now. And Jesus doesn't say no. He just says pump the brakes a bit. In fact, what Jesus says is really interesting because Jesus does not correct their understanding of kingdom and spirit. Instead, Jesus corrects their timeline and some of the specifics of their request. The disciples ask, is the kingdom going to be restored now? And Jesus says, hold up, it's not for you to know. And the disciples ask, is it coming to Israel? And he's like, well, actually, you're going to go everywhere but Israel. Huh. I like this moment a lot because it feels really relatable. I don't know if this is true of you, but for me, I really like timelines and specifics. I really like calendars and specifics. I want to know when something is happening, how we're going to get there, and when we're going to arrive. And I, if I could, would really like some kind of Google, Apple Maps for my faith. I just think that would be really helpful to me to know, like, what are the specifics of this thing called following Jesus? And what are the details of this work that you're accomplishing? And how do I join in? And maybe even how do I manage some of it? And maybe even how do I get a sense of certainty around it? And maybe even how do I control a little bit of it? Just, you know, for my own sake. But instead of giving a sense of control or of certainty or clear instructions— Jesus says, 
You don't get to know when. And instead of specifics, I'm going to send you everywhere. But you will receive power to be witnesses. You will receive power to be witnesses. What does it mean to receive power to be a witness? Being a witness feels like such a different kind of role than the one that details and specificity would provide for me. Jesus says, I won't give you the details, I won't give you the specifics, I won't show up where you want me to show up, but I will give you a kind of power that enables you to witness or point to or show something. Jesus is telling the disciples that your job is not to control or oversee or manage my work. Instead, your job is to witness to something, to tell a story, to see and to testify about something. So we believe that the kingdom of God is being restored, that Jesus' work is happening, that it is emerging in the world around us. In theological language, we call it the kingdom of the already, not yet. It's a weird phrase, but it speaks to this kind of tension that we believe that we live in as Christians today, that God's kingdom is on the move, God's kingdom is present in the world, but it is not yet finished. And we live in that strange in-between space where we know that something is happening, maybe even we begin to experience something that is happening in the midst of us, and yet we also are witnesses to the difficulties of the world around us. And just because God's kingdom is here doesn't mean we don't also see the kingdoms of the world. And just because God's kingdom is here doesn't mean we're not also privy to the difficulties and the pain and the problems of the world. We live in this strange tension in between things. This already not yet moment. We believe the kingdom is happening and being restored and made present, and yet it is not yet. And what Jesus is telling the disciples is that the Spirit is on the move, making that kingdom real and present to us. But we don't get to control it. We don't get all the details of it. We don't get to manage that process. We don't get to control that process. Instead, our job is to witness it. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas has this really beautiful quote that I like about this dynamic. He says this, because a new world has been made present through the Spirit. We believe that we are a people of a new age, though the old age continues. We believe that we are a people of a new age, even though the old age continues. And I think this is the dynamic that Jesus is capturing here with his disciples. The kingdom is being restored. My work is being accomplished. I am doing something in the middle of you and around you, but you don't get to control it or coerce it. You don't get to fight the kingdoms of the world with a sword 
or even manage it. Instead, you bear witness to something. You show something. You tell a story about what I am doing and about what I am accomplishing in the world around you. You are empowered to be a witness, a storyteller. I think this is really beautiful. If I can be honest with you, pretty frustrating too. (laughs) It's beautiful to know that the weight of Jesus' work is not on your shoulders. It is beautiful to know that you are not responsible for redemption or renewal. You are not responsible for someone's faith. You are not responsible for someone else in this situation. You're not responsible for fixing the problems of the world. That is good news, but it is so difficult for me because it also removes all the the ways in which I think about my own role, it challenges the way I see my own power, it challenges the way that I see my own role in the world. In some ways it challenges my identity as a pastor. It's really easy for me to believe that I am responsible for you. (laughs) And it's really easy for me to take on weights of responsibility for you that are simply not mine to bear, that are totally unhealthy to carry. I can begin to measure my own success by how well you receive something I've said or how many people show up on a Sunday. I can begin to measure my success by how well I think you're doing in your faith. I can begin to measure my success by just how much you like something I say. That's a real toxic spiral to go down. And what Jesus is saying is like, that weight is not on you. You do not carry that burden or that responsibility. But then what is the responsibility that I carry? And Jesus says, you point to something. You witness to something. You tell a story about me. And in the middle of all that strangeness and grayness and in-between spaces, the Spirit is at work bringing his kingdom. This is such a freeing, though difficult truth. If the weight is not on me and it is on the Spirit, then all that I am and all the complexity that I bring and all the mistakes that I bring to this story actually get to be used by the Spirit for the purpose of the kingdom. When I sin, when I make mistakes, when I repent, ah, the Spirit gets to use that for the kingdom. My successes get to be used for the restoration of the kingdom. Sometimes when I'm sleepy and I don't show up, it gets to be used by the Spirit for the kingdom. Jesus says this weight is not on you. Instead, you tell a story, you witness, and you point towards something. And in the pointing and in the work of moving towards someone else, the Spirit empowers our efforts and restores the kingdom. Missy, what if we believe that about our own work and our own efforts? The other series, we've been trying to have these different conversations about the Spirit, what the Spirit is doing, and the work of the Spirit. And I think 
the consistent refrain and theme throughout all these conversations is that the Spirit is doing something that we can't control or do ourselves. And so the question I wanted to end on is, like, as we close this whole series more than anything else, is that if the Spirit is empowering us to participate and to witness, if the Spirit is taking a responsibility from us, what if we actually believed that? What might change about the way we live? What might change about the way we love? What might change about the way we gather together? What might change about the way we show up in our workplaces? What might begin to shift in us if we believed the Spirit was at work in us and in the world around us? And all our job was to do was to tell a story and to witness and to point to what God is already accomplishing. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, who's like a young church pastor and planter in the ancient world, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I keep thinking about that in this conversation, that if I really believe the Spirit was at work in the world around me and in me, what kind of sense of myself does that give? What risks might I take? What courage might I have? And the reason I ask you these questions is not because I'm going to be able to answer them all together, because I would like that to be the last resounding thing that we do as this community in this series, is begin to wrestle with these questions, begin to ask ourselves these questions. And I hadn't told the band this, I hadn't planned this, but as we close, what I would like to do is just give ourselves a couple of minutes to pray through these questions. What would what, what happen in us if we believed the Spirit was at work? And so, Mr., here's what we're going to do. Is I'm going to pray for us and create just like five minutes for us to pray with your teammate, with your friends, around the people with you, or just by yourself. Just this question, what if we believed the Spirit was really at work in us and around us? And after five minutes, I'll come up, I'll close this time, and then we'll continue to worship together and come to the table. So, Missy, would you just take five minutes to begin to wrestle in prayer with this question? Get a posture that's comfortable, find a friend if you want to, pray alone if you want to, and then I'll come back up here and close this out. When the ancient church would gather for a communion meal, they would pray a prayer that became known as the Epiclesis. And the Epiclesis is just the prayer of presence. But it's this very fascinating prayer where the church asks the Spirit to take the bread and the wine, the cup that we're sharing, the meal that we're engaging in together, and make it more. To make it the presence and the body and the work of Jesus. And it's a prayer that we actually make all the time together as a community over our own self and over our own lives. We pray that God, through his Spirit, would make us more. That we would be witnesses to the kingdom of God. That we would be a family despite the fact that we don't share any blood. That we would overcome the barriers of division that so often keep us separated through some power beyond ourselves. Every one of those prayers is an epiclesis, prayer of presence kind of prayer. Instead of talking more about Spirit to end this series, I was like, I just think we need to pray together and to do what we do every single week, which is gather at the table and ask God to be present. To take our small gestures, our gathering as a community, our expressions of love, and to make it 
something more. And so, Missio, after this moment of prayer, I'm going to invite you to continue to worship and to gather at this table. It's a space that we practice every single week, gathering in the fellowship with God. We believe that God has taken this bread and this cup and somehow made it more. And it is a symbol that God is making us more. You see, the power of the Spirit, we have become witnesses to his work. So, Missy, let me pray for us one more time as we continue to worship together. Jesus, thank you for your work in us. Spirit, would you take our efforts, our gestures, our storytelling? Would you take the way that we walk on the way of you? And would you meet us? Would you empower it? And would you transform us into your body? Would you make us the body and the presence of Jesus in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our family spaces? Everywhere that we go, would we be your body and your presence this week? Not because we're some super spirituality, not because we're so well-disciplined, not because we've earned some high enlightened state. No, because we get to tell your story. Make us witnesses this week to you, Lord. In your wonderful and holy name, we pray. In the power and of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.